Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I of course cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show, that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed with McNamara Financial in Marshfield. And also we call it McNamara of the Merrimack in the Merrimack Valley. Uh, good morning, everyone. I'm joined this morning by my superstar co host, um, husband and business partner, Kirk. Good morning. First first time we've seen each other this morning. <laughs> Good morning. Can you hear me? How are you? Yes, I can hear you. I'm And I'm seeing shaking heads, so all is well with the technology. Awesome. Um, so uh, we've done, a lot of our shows recently have been like market related, election related. I just, I wanted to switch gears and take a break from that and just kind of step back and think big picture for a while. Um, and talk about some retirement planning type stuff. Um, I was sort of inspired by, I think I'm always inspired for radio show content by my discussions with clients, but um, in particular this one. So um, what we wanted to talk about today is this concept, what I'm going to call front loading your retirement uh, or front loading your portfolio for retirement, i.e., um, the benefits of trying to save hard early and the opportunities that that opens up later on. Now, I totally understand that this is a bit idealistic, but I do think that there are ways to make this work. And if you're motivated enough and you can, you know, make make little changes in your life and, and I, I think it's doable, I've seen it doable. And, and we're gonna talk, you know, through that today. Um, 
So uh, the early bird gets the reward is how we advertise uh, the show this morning. Um, of course, not guaranteed compliance disclosure right there, but uh, we're going to just talk about this this sort of non-traditional concept of saving really hard early versus saving hard later, which is... Um, you know, again, it's a bit idealistic because most people, their you know, their earnings are greater later, so it's easier to save or in that save later in that regard. But, but also later on in life, there's just more expenses in your life too. So, um, so we just wanted to talk through that. So, um, uh, if you're listening on the South Shore this morning, seven eight one eight three seven forty nine hundred is the number in the studio. Happy to take questions on anything uh, related to personal finance, not necessarily this topic, but always happy for people to join us on the air. Um, so I wanted to start, Kirk, with talking about um, uh, this, I guess, just sort of the base of this is is this concept of compounding interest. And we've talked about that on the show before. But um, the reason that this uh, sort of front-loading strategy is so awesome is because we have this phenomenon of, of compounding interest. And... You know, my dad told me years and years ago that numbers don't make for great radio, but I just can't help myself today. We're going to go over some numbers because I do think in this situation, um, the numbers are pretty powerful and they do serve a purpose and that the, in that I think it's going to uh, drive this point home regarding this this concept of, uh, of compounding interest. So um, I prepared some numbers and again, we don't need to get into the weeds, but I'm just going to go through some of this stuff. So um Compounding interest is is this, I guess I'll call it a phenomenon of um, of interest not only on your money, but interest on the interest that your money generates. So interest on interest on interest on interest over time. And that compounding effect is really, really powerful because, you know, like in year one, you you have uh, hopefully uh, interest or earnings on your money. And then in year two, you have interest on your money, but also on last year's interest. And then in year three, you have interest on your money and then interest on last year's and then the year prior's interest. So it's that, it's that compounding effect it really is that snowball effect and that um, and that your the the earning as your portfolio grows even if your earnings as a percentage don't increase or in fact decrease as you get older as you get more conservative in your portfolio the dollar amounts get so much bigger as your portfolio is bigger um, so again we're going through some numbers I don't care what anyone says this is going to make for great radio I think um, yeah one thing that that people often say, or, or that I that I catch people saying, is like if they have if they have like multiple you know accounts or multiple investment accounts, if they have one that that they're not you know adding to, uh, or they've stopped adding to for some reason, they always say, oh well you know I'm, I'm not adding to that anyone, so they like they feel like it's not doing anything. Um, you know, like they feel like if they're not adding to it, that it's just kind of like sitting there and it's not not doing anything. And I think that kind of goes back to your point here that if if they had if they had put you know a decent amount of money into it in the past then then it is you know it is doing right. something because it's, it's compounding upon all that stuff that you put in and uh, put in before assuming assuming it's invested and it's and it's still growing so it, it is doing something and and you don't want to just um you know you don't want to just forget about it you want to make sure that it's you know, that's why you always want to, you know, be talking to somebody and make sure that it's invested, you know, appropriately so that it is continuing to, to work for you, even if you're not, 
you know, doing the work per se to, to add to it. I think like so, sometimes with smaller chunks of money, people, you know, a small chunk of money, like someone might have an old retirement plan and they didn't work there very long and it's like a thousand dollars or like three thousand dollars, you know, like relatively small amount. Even if it's earning five or 10 percent, it's still a small dollar amount. So they might not feel like it's working. But right. um, but yeah, I don't I, I hear this a lot. Like, you know, the question of I have these separate accounts and, and oftentimes accounts have to be separate for tax reasons. Um, but uh, people sort of hyper focus on, well, I have like several smaller accounts. If I combine them together, wouldn't they earn more? But no, like just, just uh, you can just think of all your monies as like your household. And if your household is earning a certain percent, then don't, don't worry about, you know, if the monies are separate. Um, I, I don't, people don't need to get in the weeds about that. Um, but I just wanted to sort of go through this example and I, I won't go through all the numbers, but um like just for example, I think this illustrates the point really well. If let's assume someone has $10,000 invested and they can earn 7% per year on average for 10 years and not add anything to it. So $10,000 in the first year, 7% of that is 700 bucks. So then at the end of year one, you don't have 10,000 anymore. You have $10,700. So that's your 7% earnings in year one. And then in year two, you start with $10,700. And even if you earn the same 7%, your earnings are greater because it's a bigger chunk of money. So then your earnings in year two are $749. Now, of course, we don't have the same rate of return every year when you're an investor. We have variations in returns, but I'm just trying to prove the point of compounding interest. So even if the numbers aren't exactly the same, the point remains. So like year one, your 7% earnings on your 10,000 bucks are 700 bucks. And then in year two, they're $749. And then in year three, they're $801. And then fast forward to year five, they're $917. Fast forward to year 10, they're $1,286. That's just earnings at 7% on a bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger number. And that's not even factoring in someone adding to that account. So that is the, the, the phenomenon of compounding interest. You didn't even add to that money. And if you could earn, for example, that 7% per year, of course, not guaranteed. I'm just doing this for illustrative purposes, but, but you and I know, Kirk, that that's not out of the realm of reality for an average rate of return for like a balanced to an aggressive portfolio, something in that range. So, so you're, so earnings on top of earnings on top of earnings on top of earnings over long period of, periods of time is really, really powerful. So like, so for example, again, let's take $10,000. Let's not add anything to it. If you can earn 7% per year on that money for 10 years, it turns into $19,600. I'm rounding. That's pretty good. You doubled your money in 10 years. You didn't add anything to it if you invested and could earn 7%. But it gets really powerful the further out you go, of course. So let's take that same 10,000 and you leave it alone for 20 years. You don't add anything to it and you earn that same 7% per year every year. Then your 10,000 turns into $38,700. Now let's go out even a little bit further and let's call that 40 years. That's a long time to leave money alone, but this sort of is mimicking saving for retirement. So it's not really 
a crazy concept that you could have money tucked away for 40 years. Hope, hopefully not anyway. Um, so again, $10,000, never add anything to it. If you can earn 7% per year for 40 years, guess how much it turns into? 10,000 over 40 years at 7%? Yeah. I put you on the spot totally. Uh, uh, $80,000. $149,750. Yeah. Wow. 40 years is a long time. No, no doubt about it. But that is the concept of compounding interest. And that is you, we didn't add anything to it. That's just, again, earnings on earnings on earnings on earnings over so many years. And like I said, again, we have good years and bad years in the markets and not every single year you have earnings, but on average, that's not out of the realm of reality for um, you know, rate of return, depending on how you're invested, if you're something, you know, largely stock exposure and, um, and all throughout history. Anyway, that's, that's not like a crazy assumption for us to be making. So like in 10 years, you double your money in 20 years, you quadruple it. And in, uh, 40 years, it's, it's 15 times bigger if you just leave it alone and can earn 7%. So that is those, those numbers are crazy. So, um, and then I wanted to go through one more example while we're on while we're on this topic. Now let's assume you have that $10,000, but now you're gonna be adding to it. Like let's assume you have $10,000 every year to save. Now these numbers get really, really fun. So $10,000 a year, every single year, you're adding 10,000 to that initial 10,000 and still earning that same 7% return. 10 years later, it's $157,000. Now, of course, we, we can, we'll back out inflation in a moment. These are future dollars. Future dollars always sound really, really big, but we'll, we can back it out and present value this stuff really easily. Um, but, but this is just, again, that compounding interest example. If you have $10,000 to start and you add 10,000 a year for 20 years, and earn 7%, it becomes 448,000. These numbers are crazy big because it's a long time. And also in this example, you're adding 10,000 every single year, which hopefully for many, you know, workers in this, you know, professionals in, in this area of the world anyway, this is not out of the realm of, of, of craziness for an amount of money to be tucked away every year, especially when you're considering a retirement goal. Um, and so again, last one, I promise on this anyway, $10,000 a year to start, add 10,000 per year for 40 years. And I didn't inflate that 10,000. I'm just using 10,000 flat for 40 years, but you're saving your own 10,000. So you're actually saving 400,000 of your own dollars over that 40 year period of time. But with earnings that turns into, and again, I assumed 7% per year, $2,146,000. Wow, I was gonna say, I was gonna say, yeah, maybe over a million a little bit, but yeah. Yeah, I know the numbers even, even surprised me. I had to double check these calculations yeah. several times because you're just like, wow, that's, this is the power of saving early and saving often because we, we just have, it's just that, con it's that snowball effect. Your little retirement nest egg that starts at 10,000 and you're adding a little bit to it every year, that snowball gets bigger as it goes down the hill and 40 years times 10,000 bucks a year at 7% is $2,146,000. Now that is in future inflated dollars. Like 
like a, a 7% return minus losing purchasing power at two or two and a half or 3% per year, like inflation has averaged in that range for a really long time, $2.1 million 40 years from now spends like something like $800,000. It's still a lot of money and you still had your money working for you. But of course, you know, I don't mean to imply that everyone that can save 10,000 bucks a year will be like a multimillionaire and like have no financial problems in the future. Of course, that's not what I'm meaning. Future inflated dollars always sound, of course, crazy, crazy large. You and I know from looking at, you know, cash flow reports for our clients and projected cash flows and stuff in the future. Like I, I can remember several times, like, you know, we look at lots of uh, cash flow statements for clients when we're doing planning. And um, just one line item that always like freaks people out is health insurance, for example. So, you know, we, we know that health insurance, especially for retirees can be a, a big line item on their, on their uh, expense line item or on their, on their spreadsheet. Um, and, you know, the future inflated projected amounts or costs for healthcare, especially because we're using a higher rate of inflation when we run scenarios, um, those numbers are crazy and people are just like, you can't even wrap your head around that stuff. But you know what? Life costs you more every year, most years anyway. And, and just over time, that stuff adds up. Um, so I, I just think this, that, so I just w sort of wanted to set the precedence for why this concept of trying to front load and, and, and make your portfolio as big as possible early in life is just awesome because then, because compounding earnings or earnings on bigger dollars are bigger dollars, right? Like I can think of a, um, a particular client, for example, who, um, first, you know, whatever reason got started later in life saving for retirement. And, you know, that's unfortunate, but you know, this is the situation. And when you're in that situation where you're later in life and you don't have that many years that you want to be working, or maybe from a health perspective, can't be working or whatever, um, you, you have to work a lot harder to tuck your own money away because you don't have your portfolio, you don't have a portfolio that's working for you. And I'll kind of explain that. I do have some examples of how to explain your portfolio working for you versus you working to save in your portfolio. Um, but like, for example, I can just think of this, this particular client getting a late start and just like, when you're in that situation where you're just, you're sort of like so desperate for your money to be a certain size, but you didn't start early enough, you need more and more earnings. You need your port, you would need your portfolio to earn a lot more in order to like make up the difference. In other words, you have to take more risk and sometimes even a 10 or a 12 or a 15% return like doesn't seem like it's enough because your portfolio, if it's very small, even a 15% return, which is fantastic, uh, if it's not, if your portfolio isn't large, then that's not a lot of money. So you're not seeing that growth, um, unfortunately, if you get a late start. So just getting that early start is so, so, so important. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, as, as you said, I mean, compounding is a terrific tool that's, you know, available to anybody. And, you know, I can't, I guess, you, you know, you probably can't say, you know, compounding is, is a guaranteed 
you know, uh, principle or tool, but it's, but there's certainly a lot more, um, you know, uh, chance of that happening versus, versus, yeah, return. You can't, you can't really control your returns unless, unless you're in a, you know, a guaranteed investment and, you know, a guaranteed investment, you know, typically isn't going to keep up with, keep up with inflation, uh, which is something that you've, you've hit on and, um, you know, take advantage of the compounding and yeah, cause, cause if you, if you try to put too much pressure on your, on what you earn, as you were just saying, that's, you know, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a tricky game. Um, um, and you know, trying trying to get be too aggressive to earn more money, that can go that can go the wrong direction uh, sometimes, and and you just you could be end up end up doing yourself more harm than good. And yeah. you know, so th- yeah, this is a great a great uh, a great concept for 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 anybody that that's out there, you know, you know, trying to get started or um, or, or maybe is a little behind. And yeah, getting as much you know, getting that money working for you is the best the best thing you, you can do. For your, for your for your long-term uh, you know financial success yeah and I have some like examples to go through we'll maybe we'll do that after the break because that will take some time but I I put some scenarios in our planning software to illustrate this um, so we'll go through that in detail after the break but just like just to back up a second like you know this this concept of um, you know saving hard early you know, of course it's easier said than done right because people you know I'm talking about like you know it, it, in order to really maximize this you, you know start saving even when you're 25 or 30, like that, those are the years when, when it's, when you can really make some headway. But having said that, of course, people come out of school with, unfortunately, people come out of school with large amounts of student loan debt, for example, and they're trying to, you know, get into their first house and, you know, life and, and their earnings potential generally isn't, or their earnings at that time in their life isn't as great, generally speaking, as it is later in life. So yes, this is much easier said than done. However, um, if you can you know, one of the things that's so important and one of the things that we talk to the high school kids about when we're doing the money fair is just this this concept of if it's, uh, if you force yourself into savings habits early, you never miss the money, right? So if you force yourself into that 10 or 15 or what would be awesome, like 20%, you know, forced savings from your paycheck, just throw it in the 401k and, and you'll never see it in your paycheck. Then you're just, you're never used to a lifestyle um, that's greater than what you're just, you're used to a certain lifestyle. This is how much money I have to spend. And, and, and you can spend more as your earnings grow, but you never miss that money that's out of your paycheck. Um, and so, you know, like out of sight, out of mind and you're, and then you make your life work around that. And I, and I do think that that's the way that it should be when it comes to spending your money, you shouldn't like build this life and then figure out how to afford it. Unfortunately, that's how some people proceed. You shouldn't like, you know, be in this apartment or this house and have this car and then worry about like how to afford it later that in, in the world of responsible finance, that doesn't make sense. You should build your life around what you have available to you. So if it's out of sight, out of mind in the 401k, then you're never used to it. And that and in, in forcing yourself into a certain lifestyle early, meaning forced savings early, you never have to like transition and sacrifice. So it's easier to just out of sight, out of mind early on. It's easier to do that than it is to 
you know, build a certain lifestyle and, you know, afford X, Y, Z things and life and, you know, whatever. It's hard to like have that and then realize when you're 40 or 50 that, oh crap, I got to start saving. And then you're sacrificing because then you have to cut things out and and you have to change your lifestyle at that time. I think that's way harder than just starting early, and f- and just affording what you can afford. And everybody has different levels of income and everybody's lifestyle is a little bit different. And and st- don't worry about keeping up with the Joneses, right? But of course, easier th- said than done. Um, all right, after the break, we're going to get into some more examples of w- explaining what we mean by having your portfolio work for you versus you working to save your into your portfolio. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. You're listening to McNamara on Money. We're just uh, taking a quick break and we'll be right back. And we're back. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. I was trying to sneak in a quick little second breakfast there. That wasn't quite enough time for that. Um, You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm joined this morning by my husband and business partner, Kirk Reed. Good morning. Morning. From afar, I love Zoom. Where has this been all my life? This is amazing. Um, Kirk's home with the girls. I'm here in studio, so all is well. Um, 781-837-4900 if you want to join us on the air, if you're listening in the, on the South Shore today. Um, we're talking about, we can talk about whatever you guys want to talk about, but um, uh, for lack of a better suggestion, we're talking about saving for retirement and this concept of front-loading your portfolio. In other words, saving hard early, which takes the pressure off later. I do 100% understand it's a bit idealistic, but we're going to talk through like ways to think about this a little bit differently and I've seen it done. It can be done and, and it's, and it's awesome. Um, so did you have a comment? I had a thought. Yeah. And, and I, I don't know, um, maybe you were going to touch on this, but I was thinking during that last segment about, you know, you mentioned, you know, trying to get money, you know, working for you, uh, early, right. Give it, give mm-hmm. it, t- you know, give it time to compound, which makes, you know, total sense. Um, and, you know, but oftentimes that's, that's hard, right? As, as you said, because, you know, when you're younger, you know, you've got other, you've got other, you know, financial obligations, uh, you know, your income, you know, isn't as great. Um, and, and, you know, you might have debt, student debts, uh, you know, lots of things working against you that makes it hard to, to maybe put money away. But um, not that that's, not that that's a, you know, a good excuse. I mean, you, you still want to try to do it, but, um, you know, another thought I had is that, you know, a great, a great gift uh, that somebody could give like a parent or a grandparent is, you know, maybe putting some money into a, you know, into a Roth or something like that, you know, for, a, you know, for you. Um, and I, I know you love Roths, so I, maybe this is something you were going to touch on, but, um, you know, so like if a kid, you know, a, you know, a minor, you know, even a minor or a- anybody that has earned income, you know, can contribute to a, to an IRA or a Roth IRA. Uh, you know, assuming they qualify, but you know they, they need to have earned income. And but if they, if you know, if they're spending all their income, somebody else could theoretically give them money uh, that they could put into a, you know, into an IRA or a Roth IRA. Yeah. Um, and so, like a, and you can even open up a, you know, an IRA for a minor. Um, and you know, like you know, the parent or the grandparent could be the, you know, the custodian. Um, but open it in the child's name. And if, again, that's, you know, the, the younger they are, the better when it comes to the compounding. And, you know, that's a great, 
you know, they're basically gifting uh, the gift of compounding, uh, plus, you know, plus the money, obviously. Um, and that, I think that's a nice, you know, that a nice thing for somebody to consider if they've, if they've got some extra money to, to give. Um, yeah, absolutely. I have that on, like in segment four, Kirk, of Sorry. our uh, strategies to accomplish yeah. this. We really should, honestly, we really should communicate about the outline before the show. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, there's lots of, uh, I've had lots of people express interest in just like, you know, their teenager or their early 20 something, you know, can I just tuck some money in a Roth? Sure, of course you can. They have to have earned income. It can't be like babysitting income that's undeclared. It has to be declared taxable earned income in order to get money into the Roth, but logistically where the money comes from, it could come from the parent or the, or the, uh, the minors or the child's account. But um, as long as they have that taxable income to, to be eligible to put that money in the Roth. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, so you start putting money in a Roth for someone at age, uh, you know, 18 or 20, that's like 40 years right there of, you know, you know, idealistically anyway, or uh, what you're hoping for is 40 years of, of uh, compounding interest on that without them touching it. You know, you know, Roths are earmarked for, or they're supposed to be retirement accounts. Yes, you can access dollars beforehand, but, um, but yeah, that's, that's awesome. And that's one of my line items under, you know, how to, how to start thinking about this, uh, just, you know, without not, not, you know, I don't want people to listen to this and just sort of write it off. Like I can't afford to do that, you know, but like just little, little things that you can do to think about this a little bit differently and, and to get this, uh, and to start implementing this strategy. Yeah. Perfect example of that. Um, what I wanted to do as I go through just a couple more scenarios with numbers, I, again, I, I know I can get a little bit into the weeds with numbers, but, but when they serve a purpose, then I, I think that it's perfectly appropriate to go through numbers on the radio. But um, we've sort of been talking about this concept of your portfolio working for you. And I do think that people understand that, but let's just, what we mean by that is your portfolio earning money, right? And, and, and adding to the size of your portfolio just by the fact that it's invested in, in most years anyway, at least all throughout history, earning money, uh, having, having earnings on that. But just think about, easy to understand example, right? So just think about someone that has, let's say someone is, you know, it doesn't matter what age, but they're 45 or 50, whatever age they are. Let's say they have a million dollars saved in their portfolio. So someone that has a million dollars, and let's use that same 7% uh, assumed earnings on this million dollars. So 7% of a million is $70,000. So if this person, again, it doesn't really matter how old they are, they have a million dollars in, in invested, and in a given year, they earn 7% on that. So their money has worked for them, and they have earned, Seven, and their portfolio grew by $70,000. And let's just assume that they didn't add anything to it. For whatever reason, they didn't add anything to it that year. But, at the, but a year later, it's $1,070,000, right? Com contrast that with someone who is, I guess we'll assume they're the same age, 45 or 50, whatever, but I guess it doesn't really matter. Um, and they have saved $500,000, so that same person, that, that person that saved, that has $500,000, excuse me, if they earn 7% on their money that year, that is $35,000 of earnings 
that their portfolio generated for them. So that person that has the half a million has to add Thirty-five thousand dollars of their of his or her own money, in order to be, in order to have the same growth of portfolio that that million-dollar person achieved without putting money into it. Does that make sense? And I, I was going to say they're in the same place, but they're not really in the same place because their dollars are different. But I'm I'm talking about. Let's talk about how much you can grow your portfolio by in a given year just an easy period of time to, to, to discuss. The person that has that million dollars saved, they don't even have to add anything to it and it grew by 70,000 bucks. The other, the person with half as much money grew by, and are in the same rate of return, that their money grew by 35,000 bucks. So they have to have salary deferrals or 401k contributions of $35,000 of their own money in order to achieve the same portfolio growth. That's what, that's what we mean by your portfolio working for you. Like, which is easier? I mean, of course, it, it, I'm not implying it was easy for that person to save the million. Of course not, um, unless they you know benefited from an inheritance or something. But of course, it's not easy to save that million. But but it's but at, at that period of time, of course, it's easier to just have your portfolio work for you than you deferring or taking thirty five thousand dollars out of your own cash flow in order to achieve the same growth. Um, so I, I just think that that like throwing that throwing those numbers down really illustrates this point of how awesome it is to try to build your dollars as large as possible, as early as possible, because like in our world with our clients, Kirk, you and I know, we talk about percentages all the time, right? Target rates of return are a percentage. When we go through performance reports, annual rates of return are a percentage, you know, and we're, those numbers are sort of, percentages are, I was going to say they're all the same, but like we, we, what I mean is we talk about percentages all the time, but it's really, if you, if you think about that person's life and their goals and what they need and where they're going and where they need to get to, it's really the dollars that matter. Right. And it's, and, and it, again, we come back to that client who got a late start and is like, you know, an eight or a 10% return, like just isn't enough because there aren't enough dollars there to really see the growth that an eight or a 10% return can generate. And by the way, an eight or a 10% return in many years is, I mean, in, in any year is, is great. Um, and, and so that's what we mean by your portfolio really working for you. And the, er, the bigger it is, the earlier it is, the better off you'll be. And I, and I, I think we can talk a little bit later on about how like that takes a pressure off um, uh, later in life. Um, I went into our planning software, Kirk, and it's unfortunate we can't do this at the same time. Actually, I could share my screen with you, actually. Um, But I just like, you know, in our planning software, I kind of, you know, we can, um, I just put like a hypothetical uh, person in there and can run through some different scenarios. So I ran a scenario where I pretended that uh, this person, I had like a 30 year old married couple. Um, and I played around with some scenarios of them saving different percentages from their pay um, 
every, uh, you know, for, for different periods of time and where, what was the end result, right? Like, so for example, I have this married client ages 30 or like they're 30 and 31 or something. Um, but I'm looking at a 35 year analysis. So I'm saying, okay, this is, this is their situation now at 30. This is what they can save. And let's assume that we're, they're going to retire or we're going to reevaluate this at age. They're going to save, I mean, uh, for a certain number of years until 65, like in the right now, a sort of normalish retirement age. Um, so I ran a couple of scenarios. So give me a minute to get in here. So I ran the first scenario was this married couple. I pretended uh, that together they assume, they earn, excuse me, $150,000 per year. So both working, whether they have kids or not is I guess sort of irrelevant. I'm just talking about their ability to save. Well, <laughs> whether or not they have kids is relevant in terms of your ability to save, but everyone's life and spending habits are different. So for this model, number one, I said, okay, let's assume that they don't have like a lot saved up yet. I did, I did start them off at $50,000. So maybe they've been working for, you know, eight, seven or eight years and they've saved a little bit and, and here they are at age 30 and they have 50,000 bucks and I assumed that they save 10% of their $150,000 per year for 35 years. So like basically their working years, let's assume they retire at 65. So 10% for like a really long time in our world has been a great target to give people in terms of what percentage of my pay should I put in retirement plans. I kind of like... Of course, it's situationally dependent and all that. But like, would you agree that for a long time, kind of 10% has been like, this is a great target if you start early. I kind of use 10 to 15% now, but. Um. Yeah, I think, I think 10 to 15 is kind of, is kind of, it's changed. And I think, I think part of that is, you know, inflation, you know, is, is part of that. And, uh, you know, that just the cost of living has gotten, you know, gotten more expensive as time has gone on. So I think, you know, maybe that 10% number has, shifted a little bit. Um, not, you know, I think 10% is still pretty, a pretty good rule of thumb. Um, but you're right. I mean, one, one, I think one of the big assumptions that's built into that is that, is that you're kind of doing that from, you know, from day one, uh, or, or, or close to day one, uh, as far as, you know, when you first, first kind of start working, uh, and, and have a job and, and have the ability to, you know, uh, put some money away. Um, because, you know, if you're, you know, in this, you know, if you're, yeah, if you're waiting until 30 or 35, then yeah, 10% probably isn't going to cut it. Um, because you've, you know, you're missing out on those years of, of saving and compounding. So it really, it really is a, is a, is a function of, you know, where you are. Um, but yeah, if you, assuming your start, you know, that from, from the get go, 10% is probably a pretty good, probably a pretty good rule of thumb. Yeah. So what I did was I went, so I assumed again, this married couple, They've got 50,000 bucks. Let's assume they can add 15, one five, $15,000 to that per year, every year. I did not adjust that $15,000 upward. In other words, I assumed, you know, normally, you know, we would have cost of living adjustments in their income. You know, income goes up over time, generally speaking anyway, over long periods of time. For a moment, I did not adjust upward that $15,000 contribution. So I just left it as $15,000 flat for 35 years. Maybe, I don't know if that's realistic or not. Hopefully not. Hopefully people's, you know, would stick with the same percentage and as income goes up, dollars contributed go up. But 
So then what I did is I took a look at, well, okay, if they can earn again, I'm using that same 7% per year. If they can earn 7% per year, what's the value of their portfolio in 35 years? So again, they're age 30. We're taking a look at, well, what have they managed to accumulate by age 65? So in this example, 35 years of saving at $15,000, which is 10% not adjusted for inflation, they can accumulate at 7% rate of return uh, about $1,121,000. Okay, again, future dollars always sound bigger, but they've got over a million bucks after um, 35 years at saving at that level, okay? Then I went in and I made a little change and I assumed that that same couple was super motivated and maybe they were, you know, able to cut expenses and live fairly modestly and save more in early years. So then I ran an analysis where they saved 20% of their gross income for 15 years. So they're saving twice as much for less than half the time. The first analysis was 10% per year for 35 years. This analysis is they're saving 20% per year for the first 15 years. And then I'm assuming there's no savings out of their own pocket after that. So that's 20 years of no savings out of their own pocket. And so then we would make the same, uh, we would do the same analysis. So where are they at 65 under that scenario? So hold on. I just, I was going to really quickly just make sure I did those data inputs correct. Yep. That looks correct. And then I'll run the analysis in terms of what have they managed to accumulate at 65 and the, the last one, the last one was like 1,100,000 roughly. That, that's correct. 1,121,000. And this scenario saving 20%, but only for 15 years. And then nothing after that, they managed to save it. I mean, the numbers are just crazy. 2,693,000. That's with, with, they're saving for less than half of the time, but it's at the beginning, which is the most important component. If we ran that same analysis where they didn't save anything for 20 years and then saved that 20% for 30 years, that I, uh, I'm sorry, 20% for 15 years, I guarantee you that would look a lot worse than even the first scenario. Actually, I should have done that. Urgh. Maybe I have time either if you get chatty or after the break, we could run that. But um, the most important part of this, the, the reason that this works is because they're front loading. They are putting a bunch of money in, tucking 20% of your income away when you're you know, 30 years old Again, if you if you have student loan debt or you know of any significant amount, that could be quite difficult. But um, so I understand that. But I but I certainly think there are situations when people that are really motivated could do this, and it just is it's just awesome. The numbers are awesome. I feel like I should go through that again. Like I can't even believe it myself that the numbers are like that. I keep checking my inputs, um, it, um, but it was the same seven percent rate of return, and I only had them saving. 
that 15%, which is $30,000. Again, I did not adjust that upward for inflation and I used the same 7% per year rate of return and they have more than twice as much money, even though they, in this example, took a 20 year hiatus from saving. I mean, it's just awesome, the numbers. I'm getting super excited, sorry. And you didn't, um, you did not include like a like an employer match, correct? I did not, I took that out of the equation just to do apples to apples, but yeah, yeah you wouldn't wanna take a 20 year hiatus from saving if you're giving up, you know, employer, uh, contributions, but you know, you could have that same conversation. Like, well, you could, you know, 20 years of hard save, 15 in this example. Um, I'm not telling anyone to stop saving after 15 years, but but I'm just trying to prove the point of how front loading is so awesome. But of course, if there was an employer match, you wouldn't like want to totally stop your contributions. And and I'm not advising anyone does that. I'm just proving the point of how powerful front-loading your portfolio and your savings is because your money is working for you instead of, well, so hopefully in conjunction with, but instead of uh, you saving your own money. But yeah, for purposes of this example, I took out the employer match and I was just the only contributions that generated those numbers. The only contributions were um, from the client themselves, that 15,000 straight up and 30,000 straight up. I mean, that's just, in the, I mean, yeah, if if you if you know if you do work for a company that does offer a match, I mean that's just one more one more level of compounding, right? I mean because it's you know yeah. it's extra, extra money getting dumped into your account that that you're not paying for, and it um, you know that's that's a whole other you know um, tool or or bonus uh, that you know hopefully if hopefully if that's you know available to somebody, they're you know taking full advantage of that. Um, while you're, maybe you could think about something to chat about for a moment, but what, but I, what if I just want to really quickly run the scenario, the scenario of, uh, let's call it back ending. Can we call it that backloading, backloading 20% per year for 15 years on the back end? It is going to be way less, uh, powerful. It's, 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 it's far from ideal in this scenario. So if I assume that this 30 something, again, they're starting with 50,000, so they have some money, but we're going to assume that they don't add anything for t the first 20 years. And then they back end and they save really hard. They save that 20% for fifth, the, the, the final 15 years. So I have it, that would be like 2040. That's 20 years from now is, 2040, I'm using calendar 2020 as a starting year. So it would be 2040 until 2055. Hold on, this is gonna be way, it's gonna be less awesome for sure. Hold on, I gotta do it for this. I had a husband and wife. I should have just had them have one account. It would have been easier to model, but I had them each had their own account. Um, but like I said, not that it, people, well, sh people shouldn't focus on, is it okay that my money is separate? Cause it's, not earning, you know, is it earning less when my money is separate? Um, no, it's not. Cause if you look at the household and if the earnings are comparable, your, your household is, is growing by that amount. What were you going to say? Well, what I was thinking, you know, just another, another thing is, you know, we, we've assumed a certain rate of return on these investments. You know, I think you were using 7%, which, you know, over a long period of time, if you, you know, if, if most of your money is in um, you know, most of it's in, you know, stocks or, or, or you know, for, you know, probably 80% uh, or more uh, in the stock market, then I think that that's a reasonable, you know, expectation for returns. 
And as we've said earlier, I mean, it's not going to be 7% every year. Obviously, you know, some years will be more, some years will be less. And so that's certainly hard to calculate um, exactly what that number might be. You know, right now we're just kind of doing a flat, you know, a flat 7% every single year. But the other thing is, I mean, you have to be reasonable about, you know, what the rate of return might be. And if you, you know, if you assume too high of a number, then you might be inclined to save less. Um, and I think you just, you need to, you know, try to use a real, you know, you know, a realistic number, um, you know, erring on the side of being conservative um, so that you, you know, so that you are motivated to, you know, to, to save. Because um, if you say, oh, well, I'm going to make 10% per year, then, you know, the projections are going to say that you don't have to put as much in. Um, and right. I think that that might be an unreasonable expectation. Um, you know, yeah, yeah, you might make 10% or, or, or even more than that in, in certain really good years. But, you know, on average, I think that, that that's a, that's a tough, um, I don't know that that's a realistic number to, to, to put into your projections. Oh, absolutely not. I would never let someone talk me into using a 10% per year earnings average. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, yeah. like, so even the, yeah. for the, you know, for the projections that you're doing now, I mean, it might be kind of interesting to say, okay, what, you know, what if we use the 6%, you know, versus a seven, oh, yeah, sure. you know, 1%, you know, doesn't sound like a lot, but, you know, but with the compounding and the number of years, it's, you it know, it makes, make a, it makes a significant difference to that end, to that end number. For sure. Good. Thank you for chatting. I was able to pull in that scenario where we're, okay. So let's just really quick recap. Scenario one, save 10% of their $150,000 of earnings for 35 years no increases to that. They started off with 50 grand, right? Um, they earned 7% per year and they ended up with 1,121,000. The front loading scenario was they saved 20% or $30,000 per year for the first 15 years. And then they didn't save anything for the back, back 20 years, the final 20 years. And they were way better off at that same 7% per year earnings at what was that? $2.6 million at, a, at the same age, 65. Final scenario is they're backloading their retirement. So they take 20 years off from ages 30 to 50 and they don't really save anything. They had that 50 grand saved and it was earning in the, in the markets, whatever. And the, uh, sorry, excuse me, not whatever, 7% per year. And then they backloaded and they saved 20% or $30,000 for the final 15 working years. So from ages 50 to 65, um, so they, so they're not taking as much advantage of the compounding interest. They, they have compounding interest for sure, but it's on much smaller dollars. So in this scenario at 65, they're worse off than they were if they just saved 10% for their entire working year. So they end up with 984,000, which is less money than if they just saved 10% for 35 years. So the back load, unfortunately, some people, I think, just situationally, because you know their life is—they're not earning as much earlier on, or they're not as motivated to save at younger ages. But life gets in the way, kids and all houses and stuff like that. Unfortunately, it's sort of normal for people to backload their retirement. But if people could just—if we could just get people to think differently from a younger age and just start early with this front-loading concept, it's just—it's just really, really amazing. And we'll—and we'll talk a little bit about again after the break about. Um, you know, some ways to think about doing this and, and, and why you would consider it and the things that it, the possibilities that it opens up um, if, if 
people when when excuse me if and when well when people have success with it oh my goodness it's time for a break um right it's, it's okay my we're, i'm losing my words i need a third <laughs> breakfast and some and some water uh you're listening to mcnamara on money i'm Alyssa mcnamara reed you can find out more about me at mcnamarafinancial.com or mcnamara of the merrimack.com um we're just taking a quick break we've got a whole another hour to talk about this awesome concept uh we'll be right back <laughs> 